Welcome to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Uh, Matt Brusky is on a well-deserved vacation out of the country to an undisclosed location or locations. Uh, but we are joined, and Rebecca Lynch is not available this week, but we are joined by a special friend and special guest of the podcast, State Senator Chris Larson. So hey. thank you for joining us. Yeah, happy to be back. Bummed, uh, bummed to miss out on uh, Matt and Rebecca. But yeah, well, good we'll, to be with you. We'll have you back plenty, so I'm sure you'll get plenty of FaceTime with them. But we especially want to have you this week because it seems like the less-than-model budget process is grinding <laughs> to not a close because I've been predicting a budget impasse, and, it, and that's looking quite likely at this point, but at least the illustrious Joint Finance Committee stage of the process. And rumor has it they'd be voting... At, uh, on a full budget in the last week of June. Is that your understanding, Senator? Yeah, yeah they told us to hold off the last uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of the month, and that's when the Senate's supposed to be in. I know the Assembly is in on the same similar timeline. They're getting together uh, the Democratic Caucus next week to talk about their budget strategy going into it. Um, but that doesn't mean we're going to have a budget, right? And I think everyone right now, each of the legislators on both sides are grappling with the idea of what they're going to vote for and what they're not. Uh, up until now, it's just been the the focus of 16 legislators who are on joint finance and um, everyone else. It's whether you're doing town halls and listening to your constituents. But the final, I mean, the final touches aren't even done on this budget. They're getting together as we're recording this on Thursday. They're getting together today uh, in a couple hours to to pound out the final pieces of it. So it goes to both houses. Uh, the pundits are saying that in the assembly where there's a supermajority for Republicans, despite the majority of voters voting for Democrats in the assembly, hence the power of gerrymandering, right. there isn't much of a doubt that they will allegedly rubber stamp what comes in joint finance. But in the Senate, you have what's left of independent Republicans, at least a handful of them. Mm -hmm. And is that where passing this thing might be in jeopardy? So some of them, it, it's a, the, the question is of what what they're going to get through. I know that there is one Republican senator who's already come out and said that this is going too far in terms of borrowing. Uh, so that puts their numbers, just to refresh folks, it's 1914. You need 17 votes to be able to pass anything. So when it goes down one, they're, they're already on shaky ground. They can't afford to lose uh, two more. So uh, that's where it is right now. I we'll see where it ends up being pounded out. Uh, if if folks really remember back two years ago, there they passed it through the assembly first, and then it went to the Senate, and then three legislators were able to get veto promises from Walker uh, before they would sign on to the budget that in that that he was going to veto things out for him before they'd finally go along with it. Now, of course, you have Governor Evers, um, and so I don't know if they're, you know, and right now there's not massive communication between the Republicans and the Democrats, much less Republicans and Evers, so I don't know if they're going to promise such things. So if they're going to be hard-lined uh, again, they're going to have trouble being able to get the 17 votes in the Senate. So, and by the way, there's a little problem stylistically with Speaker Voss, who fancies himself the next governor of the state, who is likely, if the Senate amends it, uh, to come back and say, never know, hashtag that, sure, and, uh, right. and hold up the budget on his end. So it's not like he's going to say whatever the swing senators and the Republican caucus decide, I, I, that's all great with me. That's not his style at all, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And I, I would say, and I think this is important to look at the broader picture, 
budget if the budget doesn't pass it just continues the phantom zombie budget of scott walker it right. just continues on this isn't like federal government continuing resolutions where parts of government shut down right this is it continues off the same level of budgeting until something else comes along to take its place so in that is the inherent um inherent i don't know desire or push by the republicans to actually not pass anything Right. And so I think that's part of this. I've always been of the opinion um, that the Republicans are probably not going to pass something. Um, so we'll see what happens in the final week. If they pass anything, um, we'll see what ends up happening. If, if Evers starts to veto things out, he's been pretty um, he's been keeping his cards pretty close uh, on this one. So you're thinking that the Republicans has more of a chance than most of the reporters are saying that the Republicans don't pass anything, aren't able to pass something in the Senate. And the thing you're hearing the most is not is is the debt issue. I mean, we're hearing all sorts of senators telling constituents, oh, I'm not behind not taking the Medicaid money to expand Badger Care. Um, and that's a huge fiscal impact as well as a health care impact for the state. Right. Uh, but there seems to be no scuttlebutt about any senator standing up on that issue, they would just vote for it if it was put in front of them as the the, the, the politically uncourageous position I, I'm hearing. Yeah, and I know exactly you're talking about. But yeah, I think they would end up. I think they would end up. Um, you know, making it seem like you know there's a possibility. There's a possibility right up until they vote for it, disappear for the summer, and hope. Then they hope that people forget about it by the next time there's an election. But yes, there are those senators who are doing that quite cowardly. Uh, but there are also those who last time, you know, they say, ah, the level of borrowing is too much or uh, the direction that it's going is is not that where my constituents want it. And they, they have very little wiggle room, right? They can only afford to lose three votes. Um, and I, I think there's already one, uh, if my math is correct, that said that he's out. So that means there's only two. Uh, that they could afford to lose. Again, assuming that all Democrats vote against it. Um, I have not seen indications on that. I have came out yesterday and said, given what happened with uh, the Medicaid being pulled out and that they're not restoring education funds, that my vote is no uh, until we can restore those back. And we fully intend to put forward amendments on the budget floor uh, to do that. So do you think there's a real possibility that they would not get a budget at all and then go home for the summer? Yes. Um, yes. If you're gonna if you're put gonna it bet, on Evers, yeah. but put it on themselves, uh, they would. I mean, they'd throw it right on Evers. They'd say, "Oh yes, look at this wildly." They'd they'd say, "Here's what they do." Right? They mm -hmm. think they'll they'll if, if we're we're taking bets and predicting it. I think they end up betting. Uh, they end up passing some version of it, just the way that things are going now. Um, goes through the assembly. A version of it goes through the Senate. You know, question of if those match. I I I don't know. Um, but, but they I think, go to the governor if they don't match, right? Right, exactly. So I think they Unless had the lame ducks did something I didn't know about. No, they <laughs> no, they didn't. So they'd have to they if they pass something, then at that point it's on Evers to sign or veto it. Um, and then it doesn't sound like Republicans are planning on coming back all summer long. And so then at that point we just continue off of last the phantom zombie Walker budget uh, until something else passes. Well, I know. I, I mean, their plan is clearly put it on Evers. He's the one without a budget. They're fine with the zombie budget. Wisconsin's one of the few states where it just continues the yep. previous budget. Yep. So people need to understand that's different than Illinois. Reason Illinois had those gigantic cuts as David, a Republican governor who basically refused a new budget and the money just ran out, which yeah. is a totally different scenario. It doesn't run out. It just is an automatic austerity yeah. budget, or as you call it, a zombie budget. 
And so in a way, they feel like they have a backstop because the status quo is fine with them, right? Yeah. Cutting all of these institutions, damaging the education systems, both K through 12 and higher education is fine with them, right? Yeah. Uh, quite clearly, and because they're, they're the party of anti-government. Right, if not out loud, but yes, in, in, in the back right. of their minds, they're absolutely No, right. no, they're all pro-healthcare and pro-education and right. pro-roads and everything else, right? Right, and, right. so what they'll do in the, in the summer, what they'll do after this ends up playing out, just to give people, you know, so they, can, they know what to expect this summer besides Summerfest, is uh, they can expect that the Republicans will say, oh, any, all these increases that we have for education, for local government, all of those won't happen unless Evers signs this, so it's on him. Right, that's right, but, put that on him. Him, right, right. Yeah. So they're going to try and compare it to the the Walker Phantom Zombie budget, right? And so they'll compare it to that and say ours is so much better, so he should just take that. And I think the question is going to be is if Evers falls for that, or if he's going to continue to stick to his guns and say, look, this is what the people want. Let's take the Medicaid expansion. Let's join thirty seven other states and do it. Let's give the schools the two third the the sixty percent funding pledge for special education. Let's make sure that we are not falling further behind the uh, so that we're not in the lower half for per pupil funding across the country um, and that we actually follow through with what the people voted for in the last election. So that's going to be uh, the battle of wills that will play out. And the diabolical part, diabolical part of it is that they literally can say you're doing more damage to the state by not taking our budget than taking the Walker zombie budget. And since we won't move, their position is it's unreasonable to propose anything they don't want. So yeah. They don't want what he proposed the only rational thing to do is for him to give them what they wanted. And so they literally think they can b either back him down yeah. and make him basically support, you know, oppose all the things he ran on. Right. Or put him in a position of being blamed for the zombie budget. Right. right? That's the diet. That's that's the contours of the plot. That's that's essentially it. Right. And I think, folks, it's 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 important to remember the context where um Robin Voss, within days um, of Evers being declared uh, the winner of the last election, was already talking about how he was going to cut down on Evers' power and he was going to pull power over to himself and that, you know, they were going to continue on in the status quo. So I think it's clear where, where their intent is. I think they've just done a successful job in being able to make it seem like they've been trying to find common ground. My my bet is they're not going to do that. They'll pass whatever it is, and they're still living in denial, right? They're still living in this the, the stage of denial that uh, they're not in charge, that they were voted out en masse. And the only reason they're in charge is because of gerrymandered districts. And so you, I know we're about to go to break, but literally you're saying that Robin Voss is trying to position himself, and not ineffectively, as a shadow governor in this whole process. And so yeah. because he has such huge majorities... That Fitzgerald couldn't do it because he doesn't have that a big majority or even a completely unified caucus. So we need yeah. to go to break. We've barely even scratched the surface on the budget, <laughs> but we'll be back right after this. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Okay, welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and I'm joined by our special guest, State Senator Chris Larson, a close friend of Citizen Action and Battleground Wisconsin, and a frequent sub. We should say you're a Battleground Wisconsin contributor, like they give people oh, that nice. moniker on MSNBC. Add it to right? my resume. I like yeah. it. <laughs> um, and you're certain, you certainly participate enough for that. Uh, and we, well, we might get to your favorite caddy, Elizabeth Warren, if we have time. Please, uh, I wore the button too. As she is uh, apparently in yeah. at least one major national poll now ahead of Bernie, 
uh, by a few couple points. So it's yeah, only going to continue. But if we have time to get to that and whether whether we're dividing the progressives or not with Bernie Elizabeth. But let's go back to a less pleasant topic. I thought we were actually making progress and even some news on the budget process mm-hmm. and what and the Republican plan to leave it to Tony Evers either to do something worse than their budget by allowing the zombie Scott Walker budget to continue or to veto their budget and have no and no budget also producing the zombie right or so they'll both of those lead to a zombie budget and uh, or quite frankly to capitulate right giving him no good options which is why one person who met with the governor recently thought he seemed pretty upset about his options yeah. Um, so he really does have tough options. I'm wondering. Let, let it talk. We'll get to his options in a second. But mm-hmm. first, anything jump out at you about the latest actions of joint finance? I mean, the thing that jumped out at me, just to tee you up a little bit, is I thought we all agreed that our double the prison population of Minnesota, um, and with other mm-hmm. states, even red states, reducing their prison populations, that we really don't need to build any new prisons. But lo and behold, there's there's money for a new. There's not money for a number of new UW, UW buildings that the UW, UW system says are necessary at a lot of the campuses, mm-hmm. but there is for another prison in Green Bay. Yeah, that they're going to put it up there. And again, this goes against the model, right, of, of, of what we had proposed and what actually was passed by the legislature last time. I mean, I do empathize a bit with the governor on this one because there's a every prison in the state is over uh, is overpopulated. You have uh, just these powder kegs of angst where they are not rehabilitating people, where you have people working in in uh, working there who do not have the benefit of collective bargaining, where they are doing forced overtime and where they are not uh, living in working in safe environments. And so all of that culminates in the problems that they they have. And we're actually the Milwaukee caucus is going to be taking a, a tour of some of the facilities just to see what's going on and see what we can change in these. Um, so something's got to change, and some of these have to be shut down. And in that, we're going to have to have some type of a temporary building. Um, if you call it a prison, call it a prison, but something that's closer to home, closer to the community, so that the model can actually carry out, which is having prisoners have a connection to the community afterwards, rehabilitate them, give them job skills, give them education, get a GED, and also have connections to workplaces afterwards where they can see a life afterwards that's not and re-entering that prison. But unfortunately, the executive seems yeah. to see this as an exec- <laughs> economic development tool. Right. So economic development a la the heyday of prison building in the 80s and 90s as we expanded into a system of mass incarceration. Yep. I do think you make a vital point. We focus understandably on the carnage that mass incarceration, the new Jim Crow, causes people who are imprisoned and their families, right? Yeah. But this system is horrible for all the people who work in the system as well. Right. Uh, and we, it, it, it's already we spend more than we do on the UW system, and we still, and, and we still can't create humane conditions or, or even put any money behind rehabilitation or opportunity, whatever you want to call it, yeah. uh, but actually helping people not return, right, yeah. and and then come back and be highly highly productive members of their communities when they're returned, but. None of all that happens, so it's horrible even for the folks who work in these institutions. Right. It's a. I mean, it's it's part of larger criminal justice reform that needs to happen. It must happen. It's just a matter of how long it takes. And 
again, we are we are jumping from uh, a standstill, right? We're trying to sprint from without using these muscles in eight years, right? Just for example, the parole board finally has a chair, finally has members. And so they're getting up and running, starting the process that Walker extinguished. Nobody, there was not even a, a, a method to be able to, to, uh, to, to uh, request parole, much less uh, be able to get it. And so being able to actually get, get the mentality on the path of rehabilitation and, uh, and then going back from there and being able to adjust our laws so that they actually reflect you know, of, of actually trying to, sh- to fix the system, right? Prevent people from committing crimes in the pers- first place, being able to alleviate poverty, alleviate the causes of poverty to begin with, right? All that's going to take more than two years. So what's they, interesting... they have a secret plan for that? Right. Well, I think that's the thing, right? I think the, yeah. in, the, the part is, is they beat up on Evers when he said, look, n- you know, and he didn't say this, but nothing was done, right? Walker basically signed our bill, Goyke and, and ours, uh, and said, "Yep, we're going to shut Gorky down. Larson Bill. Right, we're going to shut down the Lincoln Hills and Copper Lake, and we're going to move towards this Missouri model." But then did nothing. Right, it was it was definitely a PR stunt for him to say, "Okay, we're, we've done this." But he didn't put any money forward. He didn't put any study forward. And so now Evers came in and has to, you know, he has to sprint from from a standstill. And so uh, it's no surprise they blasted him for that. But basically, joint finances action shows that they get it. Right. They're saying, okay, we're going to have to move forward with some funds, but they don't do the part of rehabilitation. So they're still continuing down the track of saying they're doing it. They signed that bill. They signed on to it. It was unanimous when it passed, but they're not actually putting the funds forward to uh, make sure we're moving to that model. And that's the problem with Scott Walker and his disciples running the legislature is, is that even the things they say that are good, they don't follow through on. It's PR, and they only actually do the bad things like Foxconn or like uh, let's not take any – federal money for Medicaid expansion to expand Badger Care. So there are a couple other quick hits I want to do. Uh, Apparently, you know, CAFOs are a big problem around the state, increasing problem, and they're very poorly regulated. So Tony Evers had a very moderate, reasonable provision that we were going to have an an additional fee on the CAFOs to pay for additional regulators to make sure that, I mean, we're talking about things in rural areas that, um, that you would need a whole city water system to handle, and there's no water system at all, right? And you're just pouring the stuff uh, down into the wells and into the groundwater. And uh, they took that out of the budget. Yeah. Yeah, and right now, so they took the fee for them. Yeah, the And fee. they actually cut down on the number of DNR employees that would regulate and make sure that these are mm-hmm. up to standard. And again, keep in mind that one of the things they can't look at is what the overall impact of water is in an environment where CAFOs exist. Uh, at last count, and my, my numbers are probably dated, but the last count, there's 335 of these suckers in the state, condensed feeding operations, and they have a outsized impact. These are not mom-and-pop farms. This isn't no. what you see when you visit the zoo and go to the agriculture section. These are there is no huge and detrimental right, yeah. uh, to our state, to, f- frankly, the, the fundamental uh, parts of what was makes Wisconsin, Wisconsin, our great outdoors, our great natural resources. And so Evers was proposing that make, they actually pay for the regulation of making sure that they're following the law. And they declined to do that. Um, they did push for a, uh, a hub, which I think is kind of, it's, it's needed, but it's also kind of hilarious. 
there's $11 million they put forward. And again, this goes to the heart of it, where they're saying, look at what they're doing, not what they're saying. They said, we're going to put a dairy hub because dairy industry is suffering. Well, they're suffering because things are getting consolidated more and more behind CAFOs that aren't being held accountable. Right. And they're also not holding them uh, to account. They gave away, in this projected year that we're in, not the next one, but the one that we're in, they already gave away $654.2 million dollars in the last projection. That's what the agriculture manufacturing tax credit is. Because right. I think people, you think of a big number, but think of 654.2 million. But on top of that, instead of actually charging them a nominal fee, making sure the ultra big ones actually pay for it, they're taking the $11 million out of the UW's budget. So they're not even using the funds that they could from these operations. They're saying UW has to fund this and dig deeper in your pockets at the same time as we don't have to go into it, but at the same time as they didn't give them the extra funds to even fund the uh, the fund the the, the tuition freeze that they uh, they pushed through. Right. So, which I, again got the UW system. I think the UW system probably needs reform around costs, but not just that kind of cutting. Right. Um, and they don't want those reforms either. They want UW to work as an adjunct to the corporations like Foxconn. But right. independent right. of that, and they also found a four hundred million dollar income tax cut. We don't. We might have time to talk to. About later, but we'll touch in the next segment with State Secretary uh, uh, Treasurer Sarah Gotolewski about the budget. But I want to close with your prediction. We're in mid June, and we mm-hmm. can record this, rerun, run this segment, right? So, is there any way Tony Evers could actually decide to sign this budget as the as the lesser of two evils? So, Evers, this budget versus the zombie budget that yeah. would stay in effect, the Walker budget, if he if he vetoes the budget. I mean, that's going to be up to us. That's mm-hmm. going to be up to the listeners, not me, the, the, the legislator. But you, this is going to be up are to. Are you the, willing to make a prediction? Um, I mean, we could play it out. What do we have? We have a minute. I would, I'd say here's what happens, right? I think mm-hmm. that there's a budget that gets passed that gets pushed to the the governor. If the Republicans do that in a version, then the question is: is look, Evers is weighing, and in one hand, he holds the most powerful veto pen in the entire country, where he can line item things out. If he decides to do he that, he can cut money. He can cut not in, policy because they may separate the two bills. If they decide to do it, we don't know that yet. But then that's the question: is he has control over that measure? So that's what what he has in his hand, right? And then if you're looking at the let's make a deal, what's behind the other curtain is: does he push back, veto the entire thing, and then the Republicans have they they either pass something or they pass nothing, and we continue with the you know the zombie Scott Walker budget indefinitely. So and that's why Voss says they'll go wait until October. Yeah, right, to, for to that let reason. Him, so to let him think about that, yeah. So if you're Tony Evers, you, we have about 15 seconds, what would you do? We'll see what they finally end up passing. We'll see what they end up passing, and if there's ways to creatively actually get to what he originally wanted, I think you should do it. But if they're not? If there's not, then you've got to make a stand. You've got to make a stand for our state. Okay, I agree with Senator Larson. We'll see. we got to get out of here to, to take a break. We'll be back with uh, Wisconsin State Treasurer Sarah Godlewski right after this. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. And every month on Battleground Wisconsin, we have a special exclusive interview with State Treasurer Sarah Godlewski. I think Matt Brusky, our, our host, calls it what the Godlewski is, is going on with the State <laughs> Treasurer, something along those lines. I probably botched it. Uh, but uh, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's always good to join. So great to have you, too. So, uh, we would love for you, as the state treasurer, the constitutional officer in charge of 
the fiscal health of the state of Wisconsin, uh, whether or not those powers have been taken away or not, some of them, I know you're trying to get them back, but you've been watching in your first uh, first couple months as state treasurer, uh, the Joint Finance Committee operate, and the majority Republicans, a 12-4 majority, uh, completely abandon Governor Evers's proposed budget and do their own, and we want to get your thoughts. Has this been a great exercise in good fiscal management and best practices? Well, I mean, I will tell you, uh, this has probably been one of the most frustrating parts of the job is watching um, this budget process transpire and and really seeing how fiscally irresponsible some of these decisions um, that the Republicans are making on joint finance. I mean, case in point is that we know we... There's two things. You always the budget just isn't about spending; it's also about revenue. And when you look at like the Medicaid expansion money, I mean, that would have literally provided 80,000 Wisconsinites with access to health care. Mm-hmm. It would have saved the state 300 million dollars and provided additional money, mm-hmm. 1.6 billion, for investment in new in new um, medical, whether it's equipment, research, you name it. I mean, and that lowers expenses for everyone. So that to me is like the first example of exactly what their moves are not fiscally responsible. Mm-hmm. And uh, just staying on the fiscal part, the healthcare part is huge. We've talked, we talk it about a lot, but on the fiscal part, you have that huge hit to the state budget and all the additional healthcare spending. And the reason for the $1.6 billion, of course, is, is that Medicaid is a state-federal partnership. You can take the $300 million plus in savings invested in healthcare and generate even more federal money. So it's sort of like a, if you're in a pinball machine, a double, triple, quadruple bonus, right, with the yeah. same money that they're turning away. The other big revenue thing right. that they're turning away, of course, is, is that Tony Evers, governor had a very uh, uh, reasonable cap on the manufacturer and agriculture tax credit, which is the biggest corporate tax giveaway in Wisconsin history. It doesn't require a single job to be re- uh, created in return for it. At $300,000, the idea being that this claim, it's all for the small farmers, is certainly overcome by any, because you, it only, you, you only start to pay it once you have $300,000 in tax liability. So that, that's another big revenue piece they're, they're, take, they're taking away. Yeah, and I think the other piece that's a big revenue stream that they're taking away is um, the money that they were proposing with regards to um, medical marijuana and even marijuana in general. I mean, the reality is is that over, I think, what now, 33 states across the country um, have been uh, involved now in the medical marijuana or recreational marijuana industries. And you look at Colorado alone, and within their first year, they generated $2.4 billion in um, new economic activity that created over 18,000 new well-paying jobs in their state alone. Um, and, and, and I will tell you, I mean, this is something that I've had a lot of conversations about. I'm actually on the National Banking Committee for Marijuana and Hemp as a state treasurer because this is a cash-only industry. And there's a lot of challenges associated with that. But putting those things aside, I mean, I think the other thing that's fascinating is we know in the state of Wisconsin, 
we're dealing with an opioid crisis. And in states that have legalized medical marijuana, they've seen a 23% decrease in dependency in opioids. So it's, mm-hmm. it's what's I think fascinating is this is like a win-win because you are generating significant new economic revenues. We know farmers are looking at how to diversify. We know some of our industrial companies are looking at ways like in Milwaukee where they could be processing um, and retailers want to sell. And so this kind of hits everything in Wisconsin. Um, but we're just saying no without even looking at the research and the economic benefits that it can have. Did they give a... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Senator. Yeah, sorry. This is uh, uh, Senator Larson. I, I um, Just on that, Sarah, I'm curious if you have thoughts, if you're looking nationally, right? Because I'm of the opinion, and people keep asking, I think marijuana is going to be legal and decriminalized nationwide in 10 years. But what's the risk yeah. if Wisconsin is a lagger, right? Like if we're not up front on it um, and we don't pass it on our own and figure it out before the, the federal government does? Well, and I think that's something to really be concerned about and a really great point, Chris, is that all these other states around us, now we know Michigan, Illinois just passed their marijuana laws, Minnesota. I mean, everybody around us is literally doing what they need to do to kind of take that first step into the industry. And what I mean by that is they're figuring out the financing associated for businesses to be successful. The farmers are diversifying their crops, which take a while. And what we know by just looking at Canada, who is ahead of us in this industry, is that one of the biggest opportunities is the processing, which Mm -hmm. is an industrial um, type activity where we need warehouses and people who know how to do this, um, which Wisconsin, I think, has the skill set and the resources Mm -hmm. to really be, be a leader in processing. Well, if we're late to the party, All of these other kind of the supply chain overall is going to be developed and they're not going to be looking at us. And so there's a significant risk when we're the last one to the party to to show up, especially from kind of that economic benefit. Yeah, I think that's well that's well put. It's 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 yeah, it's clear that you you know what you're talking about. This is yeah, essentially they'd come in there to sell it to us, but we wouldn't be we wouldn't make that same kind of revenue in the production side, the job side, uh, or the uh, yeah the uh, the production side. Did they provide any rationale, by the way, that anyone can recall, other than reefer, n- just no reefer madness? Just that's no. Essentially, it. Yeah, they honestly that is it. Like they had a they had like I mean I don't they didn't call it the reefer madness conference, but that's what it was earlier this this year in Waukesha, where they got people together. And they all said, who's there? Representative Bowen and Representative Brostoff went out there. And uh, basically, they, they used the claim, right? And you can see the, 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 the inherent uh, bias in it that says that, well, everybody who does hard drugs says they started out with marijuana. And so, therefore, marijuana is a gateway drug. It's, I mean, it's the idea, well, sure, you know, anybody who's an alcoholic starts off with drinking some beer, Right, so are we going right. to go out and make make beer illegal? I'm sure all the people who did hard drugs also drank something too. Uh, so it's a it's a wildly you know the the it's a wildly biased look at it, not based and, in science or reality. And Scott Walker infamously said that hemp was a gateway drug, at least infamous on this show. <laughs> Didn't get the attention it should have. We only have about three minutes left, uh, uh, Sarah. I want to make sure you talked about the student loan task force process you just started. Another big issue, which I believe is not being dealt with in the state budget at all, other than to hollow out the UW system further. 
Yeah, so we are actually starting our listening tour um, today in La Crosse. Uh, we, you know, the, the student loan task force is comprised of three people right now. It's um, myself, the secretary of the Department of Financial Institutions, and then the um, head of the um, Higher Educational Aids Board that uh, deals with the uh, financial aid for the state. And one of the things that we really want to make sure that we do is listen to Wisconsinites to understand the problem. Because one of the concerns has been that the nine other states that I believe right now currently have refinancing authorities that are led by their state um, to help students refinance haven't actually really been getting at the problem. And what I mean by the problem is uh, they're not helping the students who need it, who don't have good credit, who don't have mm. collateral, who might not even have credit at all. Mm. What the student loan refinancing authorities have been doing in other states is actually helping the people who, you know, have probably well-to-do parents mm. who whose parents can co-sign them. And that's not really getting at, I think, a inclusive solution. And so one of the things that we want to make sure we do is listen to and understanding what the problems are. Um, so when we kind of come and really start looking at pragmatic solutions, we have the facts. And so mm -hmm. to do that, we are starting in lacrosse and going to be doing a listening tour um, across the state, meeting with people. Like today, we're meeting with grandparents mm -hmm. who have been co-signers and how that's been impacting their credit. Wow. Um, we're meeting with farmers because young farmers, we're um, finding out, don't want to go into farming anymore because their student loan debt is higher than what they'll be making as a farmer. Mm -hmm. um, same with teachers. And so uh, we're really looking at having a, a healthy conversation um, this afternoon and for the rest of the summer as we kind of dig into this issue. That's great. We're almost out of time. But it's a breath of fresh air to hear you talk about an issue, an important one, in, in, in a deeper more systematic way, and also even get to the question of the people who don't even go to school because of the student loan situation, not just the folks who end up saddled with student loans, which of course is also something you need to address. But we're out of time. The, 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 the time flies by with you, Sarah, so we love having you, and thanks for joining us. Good luck in lacrosse. Well, yes, thank you, and thanks again for having me. Uh, thank you very much. This is a feature every month. And uh, after this break, uh, we'll be back at Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action Wisconsin. Matt Brusky is on a well-deserved vacation. Uh, but we are joined by special guest Senator Chris Larson hey. for the whole hour. And so we've been having a great conversation about the budget. We had a great conversation with uh, uh, Wisconsin State Treasurer Sarah Godalewski. Uh, so in our final segment, we have a bunch of big news we should we'll do some quick hits on uh, this week. One is the state Supreme Court, and very suspenseful as to whether the packed uh, right-wing majority state Supreme Court would side with the Republicans and the lame duck, or would they find constitutionally 
that lame ducks are, sessions are not even in the Constitution, and therefore there's no power to have them, which you'd think a strict construction of the Wisconsin Constitution would demand if you believe they're jurists who actually follow some sort of principles. <laughs> but lo and behold, Chris... You're foreshadowing. Am right? I being you're cynical? For, you're foreshadowing the outcome. Yes. yes. Am I being cynical? Hours before the trial was to start, Wisconsin Supreme Court reinstates most GOP lame duck laws. Shocked. You can't think, see it, but Robert has a shocked face on right now. Matt's been saying, you know, we should call it the Republican Supreme Court because it seems like the jurisprudence is is drawn by who's on what side, which partisans, period, which makes them politicians in robes, which means that actually why would you have this institution? Yeah. But, Chris, I've been looking in the press coverage and maybe maybe the, the fourth estate, as the media is called, is really falling down the job, but I can't find a rationale. I want to know... What needles? What what kind of ed, uh, uh, you know kind of balancing things on the pins of needles and what kind of logical circumlocutions got them to this conclusion? Given that lame duck sessions are not in the Wisconsin State Constitution. Yeah, they're. I mean, I'm looking through their torturous explanation. They take 14 pages to try and talk about what's irreparable harm and who's harmed and what it is. But they. I mean, in the end, the conclusion was determined. Right. It's it's like they know where they wanted to end up getting. Um, but yeah, Robert's right. They're politicians that come with a wardrobe. They get to wear black robes. That's the only difference. And so they've decided that they're going to side with the Republicans. And I think it's it's just predictive, right? And I, I think I posted a tweet right afterwards uh, that said, look, they are tentacles on the same monster, the same right-wing monster that's running our state and holding it back from progress. And in this case, they're preventing the attorney general from being able to settle lawsuits. So let's say where the AG moved forward against the uh, big pharma to hold them accountable for pushing opioids in our state. If he is able to get to the point where they want to settle, he can't do it on his own. And by the way, when there's a push to settle, these usually these things usually last a day, a couple hours. And so even if he is successful, it'll have to go through the entire legislative process. So let's say that happens over the summer and uh, Robin Voss are, is off on vacation until October, September. Sorry, you know, you're, we're not even going to be able to get a settlement out of that. So well, that's, that's what's at risk right now. And here's where the legal bribery comes in, right? Uh, this is like an advertisement hey, pharmaceutical industry, if you want to prevent the whole national settlement, right, you should give big contributions to Robin Voss. Yeah, right? you've got time to do it, right? Yes. You've time to undercut that. You, you have another person to appeal to who's not the attorney and general. And there'd be a presumption, unless you proved a quid pro quo, that the two had nothing to do with each other right. under current law. So here's my suspicion, Chris, and tell me if I'm being too cynical. If we had the same justices... And Governor Doyle and the Democratic, full Democratic legislature uh, that, went, that, uh, that went out of power in 2011, in December of 2010, after the elections, had done exactly the same lame duck bills, they would have struck them down. Am I too cynical in assuming that? That they would follow the law? That the right, a right-wing <laughs> Supreme Court would yeah. have struck down exactly yeah. the same bills coming from a Democratic governor and yeah. Democratic legislature in a lame duck session I think, and yeah. ruled that lame ducks were unconstitutional. I think they would have. I think there's clear precedent to show that, yeah, yeah, yes, that's not cynical. That is um, perceptive. And right. that undermines faith in our democracy. And the problem is, is that we have a now a whole political party and ideology that actually wants to do that because they don't want our Democratic government used for any good purpose, like giving people health care, for example, as we're seeing in this budget. Right. So other news other than lame duck, which seems like 
it, they have the power to decide what laws are now because of the, the, the way they put big money into these state Supreme Court elections. We have right. the gift that keeps on giving, Senator. Before that, I just want to make oh. sure we're reiterating on the lame duck what it is. Yeah, this go is, ahead. This is the, just so folks don't forget. Lame duck was basically the invention of Robin Voss and the Republicans to come in to pull power out from underneath uh, Tony Evers. All the power they had consolidated in Scott Walker, they pulled away. So just to remember, what is at stake here is they 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 saw who won the election within hours. Uh, they came out and said, "Well, we better pull that power back. We can't allow governor. for right. We, we can't allow for a democratically elected um, executive member, executive branch member, to be able to, to carry out what people voted for." So this is the same group that gerrymandered themselves into power and are not held to account. So that's what's being uh, that's what's being reinstated. Those powers are what the the Republican court members decided to allow to move forward. And it's kind of a slippery Sorry. slope, right? No, not I'm glad you did that because once you have convinced yourself that you hold power legitimately and when you don't, right, then why not also do the lame duck, right? Because that we're not going to let them, I think uh, Robin Voss's words were, unwind the great accomplishments of the last eight years, right? Even though right. the voters said, yeah, let's please, please, please let's move on, let's move on and unwind. Yeah, yeah. and get this guy out of here. Exactly. <laughs> well put. Uh, and so we have the lame duck, right? We also have another lame duck thing because the lame duck affected this. Yeah, but before I say that, I will say the only thing that's still not in, in effect from lame duck is... The restrictions in early voting, because Citizen Action Wisconsin and One Wisconsin Now Institute won at the federal level and had those struck down, so it didn't involve the state Supreme Court. So nice. that's those are still out. But then the other lame duck zombie project, since you brought us the zombie mm -hmm. budget in, in this in earlier segment, Senator, is the um, zombie economic development project from hell, the $4 billion Foxconn deal. Oh, so, yeah. Senator, there's some changes, right? Again. Uh, they're gonna. They're they're kind of threatened by the Chinese trade war, which I can tell you is a real possibility because uh, Donald Trump's trade representative actually has a real strategy to completely change the Chinese approach to trade and their mercantilism, and actually does want to have a trade war. The question is whether Trump will just pull the plug and declare victory, which is likely. But there really could be one. And guess what? It's going to be hard to manufacture those iPhones in China if there's a 25% tariff on them coming back, and that's going to affect the screens being made here if they're ever made here. So yeah. what are they What are they going to do about that, Senator? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're, they're look, they're they're changing their their outcome on this. They're saying that they're going to be doing new things at the uh, at the Foxconn factory. But again, it, it's, it's and I feel like this is kind of the theme today, right? Look at what they're actually doing, not what, just what they're saying. And so they're saying they're going to be manufacturing other things outside of uh, what they originally said. Never mind you, originally they said this was going to be uh, a ten, Gen 10.5 display plan. Then they changed it to a Gen 6. And now they're saying that they're going to be expanding to an array of products that will be made here. Um, what, Tupperware? And <laughs> right, <laughs> right whatever, whatever you need. Lawnmowers. Whatever, whatever <laughs> trinket you can decide. And, but in reality, what this is, is it is a um, what it is just a, a uh, an outlier for them to point at and say, look, we're not as bad as those other companies. We're at least pretending to try to build something within the states. Right. And uh, a swing state at that. So that's that's what this is. And I think for those who continue to go along with it and pretend that this is real with them not hitting their job goals, with them not hitting their construction and with the, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the magazine that keeps pointing out that all these innovation hubs are empty. 
and uh, vacant and that people are not showing up and talking to him, that's what you need to look at, right? Where they even did the follow-up and said, oh, no, you know, Fox you like said, oh, the... no, you missed it. And they came back and said, nope, no, we didn't. There's still nobody here. So Unfortunately, the whole account development field is so bad. I'm looking at the half-empty water hub near our building as well. But this is just on steroids, just how much more money is involved, right? Right. right. So, so you, have the, you, have the, you have the lovely Foxconn gift that keeps on giving. I think we should, like, end on a more positive note, and that is... Uh, Citizen Action members actually went down this weekend uh, to Chicago for a big protest for Medicare for All that protested the um, the Blue Cross Blue Shield headquarters in downtown Chicago and then marched over to the AMA convention and disrupted its opening because even though the AMA hasn't seemed front and center, they, they and the hospitals are joining with the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies to fund a a uh, big operation called the Partnership for American Health, I believe that's the title, Partnership for Health, mm -hmm. which is uh, uh, there just to, to prevent Medicare for all from ever happening. Wow. And so there, this is going to be, and you know, there's a huge issue in the presidential race, but there's a real grass movement to take on all of these bad actors that have turned, warped our healthcare system into a Wall Street-style financial system where nothing matters other than how much profit can be generated. Yeah, I mean that's their motivation. That's their motivation. Thanks for doing that, Robert, and and being a part of all of that. There is, it is. I think there's a there's a sense that because they run ads that make it look like they're caring for people, that they're that's what their job is. But in reality, no, that's your doctor's job, right? It's not the insurance company. Insurance companies try to figure out how to maximize profit. And, but the uh, hospitals have restructured themselves to maximize profit, right? And yeah. You have the specter of Ascension, the biggest nonprofit healthcare chain, trying to get out of the one uh, major uh, central city hospital, St. Joe's, right? And to get and to, but building also the new things in the suburbs. What's that about? Is there more people who need healthcare in the suburbs? Right. And and just to be clear, we have a saturated health market in southeastern Wisconsin. Right. There used to be laws that said you had to justify the need before so you started building. Need, they said we didn't need them. That's another Tommy yeah. Thompson because the market would do it. The market would do. Yeah. And but we have all this, and and along with that, we have some of the highest healthcare healthcare costs in the Midwest. Uh, that's right. So we've got to go, but well, it's been great. Time has flown. We're, we're going to end on Center. a positive note. What Chris Larson. <laughs> and we're ending on a positive note that there is a movement to make healthcare right and yes. it is proceeding no matter what they do about it. And what Robin Voss or the insurance companies or the hospitals uh, have to say about that. Okay. So with that, uh, we will be back next week. Thank you to listening to for listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Thanks for having me.